Dias Marieve Agus Folt Estak. Mary Kennedy here, and you're welcome to my first series of Senior Times podcasts. Now, it's often been said that we are a nation of storytellers. I believe that to be true, and I am hugely impressed by the number and the quality of women writers in Ireland. On this podcast, my guest is Sheila O'Flanagan. Sheila, congratulations on your latest book, The Women Who Ran Away. I was so fascinated by the, the detail, by the journey through France and Spain. How did you research? Did you have to travel to those places? Well, I did have to travel to those places, but actually I had done that trip or variations on that trip myself a number of times because um, I had gone on that ferry. I had taken that ferry with the car, um, not on my own though, um, with my husband. And we had travelled that that journey um, many times. And so it was always in the back of my head, you know, that one day I would like to spin a story around, um, around that particular journey. They were all places that have a... I suppose I have in my heart. Can I read a passage from The Women Who Ran Away? It's about two women, uh, a woman in her 60s and a younger woman, and they meet um, on their journey. Grace, the older woman, uh, her husband has just died, and I think she's making this ferry crossing to France really for the first time on her own. Her brain was too frazzled to work on the passwords. It was focused on getting to the port, as though Ken was beside her, telling her not to shilly-shally. He'd always made sure they arrived at the terminal exactly two and a half hours before the sailing. Once they'd even been the first car in the queue, which had pleased him no end. Grace didn't need to be first in the queue. Now, I think the last <laughs> sentence is says it all, Sheila. This is about Grace now. And, you know, there's a dialogue that's continuing even after her, a control really continuing. Yeah. Grace is making this trip partly for herself, but but the main impetus for her initially doing this trip is to fulfil her husband's last wishes because he has set her a particular um, task to do. And, and so she is following his wishes. At the same time, she's doing it on her own and she's partly doing it on her own terms, but not completely doing it on her own terms. Um, and I think that's a kind of an interesting reflection maybe on on a lot of women and particularly a lot of women of Grace's age. She, she's just in her early 60s where, you know, we, we're always trying to please your husband, you know, or, or, or being led by the man because that was that was the way you were brought up, you know. And I think that was her life up to up to this point. And now suddenly she's on her own. And you can feel um, her nervousness about it, really, until she, I suppose, um, hooks up with the, the younger woman and there's a bit of support there because uh, this is so new for her. It's completely new. And, you know, um, like there, it is kind of a big thing, isn't it? You know, you go to another country and you're driving on your own and it's on the other side of the road <laughs> and all of those little things that, that are there. And there's a lot of anxiety. She's making a big trip because she's going from France down to the south of Spain and that's like 1,800 kilometres on her own and she has never been on her own before. So it's a big, big step for her. So even though she's doing it as as you know, requested by her late husband. It's a massive thing for her as well. Mm -hmm. I feel that uh, you're definitely putting her centre stage and all the, the women in this story, the centre stage, but that they're gaining kind of a sense of self as they progress. Is that important to you? It is. And I think I do that in most of my books um, because I, I tend to have women in situations that are outside of their comfort zone. Obviously, you know, to make a novel, you have to have 
you have to have some kind of conflict or whatever. So I, I put women in situations and then I see how they manage to either get out of it or grow into it or deal with it in whatever way. And so it depends on the character and, and, and what their issue is. But in Grace's case, she has to probably for the first time in her life deal with being her own person. Mm -hmm. And so that's what her journey, both emotional and, and physical, is. Does that come really from the type of person that you are, Sheila, and the way you were brought up? What what about your own uh, life growing up? I, I mentioned before in a, a conversation with someone that my dad was a feminist. And I think he was. Um, there were three daughters in our family and we were never told that there was anything we couldn't do. Um, not that we were encouraged you know, to be way out there and, and be, and, you know, and, and try and break the mould or anything like that. You know, we had a traditional upbringing in a lot of ways. But my dad pretty much said, you know, if I said to him, I want to do this, he'd say, OK, you're going to have to work really hard then. Um, so so that was the kind of upbringing I had. And my, my I, I suppose my approach to life generally is if there's a problem, deal with it, mm -hmm. you know, if, and, and obviously in, in your life, there are ups and downs and, you know, in those downtimes and when things are hard, um, you know, you can retreat from it for, for a short time, but then you ultimately have to face whatever it is and deal with it. And so that was kind of, um, that was my upbringing and that was my life. Where did you grow up? My mum was from Cronin, my dad was from the Liberties and we had um, a, a grocery shop in the Liberties and, uh, uh, maybe that also made me realise that, you know, we worked for ourselves. My dad's shop was our shop and if people didn't come into it, we didn't have any money. And, you know, there was nobody, uh, there was no fallback. You know, this this was it. So there might be an element of that in my own makeup is there is no fallback, you know. My school holidays, I used to work in the shop. There were great people. I'd that say. Used to come in. Oh my goodness, they were so interesting. The like interesting in loads of different ways. But they were brilliant. They were brilliant and they were brilliant about, you know, they were really good about knowing what they wanted and, you know, wanting wanting to learn and improve and all that sort of stuff. So I, I just loved, I, I didn't like working there in terms of the fact that it was always really cold, you know, because we worked in the ivory markets and it was really cold. But the people were amazing and I, I loved all the people. I'd imagine also because there's a, a lovely style of storytelling and just, um, you know, going from one stage of a story to another in all of your books, that surely had its roots in there. In well, the there Ivy were markets. some great storytellers there, all right. And But, you know, it's interesting that you say that, Mary, because I, I would regard myself as a, as a storyteller. Um, I think when I, when I sit down to, to write a book, I'm not thinking I want to create this work of art, you know, uh, I want to tell the story of the person that I'm writing about and I want it to flow and I want you to, you know, it's though you're having a, a discussion or somebody is telling you, oh my God, did you hear about Grace, you know? And, and so I want it to be there. I want you to be part of the journey that the person is taking. So, um, yeah, I mean, certainly there would have been a lot of storytelling going on in the Ivy markets and maybe it has rubbed off. But it is art. It is what you're doing. It's it's a craft. And, you know, um, when you say, I'm, I'm not trying to create a work of art, but you do, don't you? I guess so. I mean, I, I'm not um, in any way trying to, to say my work is lesser. You know, I'm absolutely not because I, I, I think I put a lot of effort into it. But I, I guess one of the things I, again, I've, I've spoken about before is you really look at 
great literature, you know, and and that is considered to be a complete art form. And and people maybe don't think of storytelling in the same way. Do you think there's a snobbery about it? A bit, yeah, I do, I do. And and I <clears throat> but I, I kind of think if you can tell a great story, that is a fantastic thing to do. And and I love when people get back to me and say, Oh, I read your book and you know, it touched me or it meant something to me. And I I would prefer that to somebody saying, oh, you know, the prose is exquisite or something. Like, <laughs> although I, I like to think, I like to think that, that my prose has a rhythm to it. Do you know, uh-huh. I think that's really important for me in telling a story is, is what you were saying, that it flows and that there's kind of a nice gentle rhythm to it and that it brings you along. Yeah, and there's lovely dialogue, very nice dialogue in your books. Oh, there thanks. really is. <laughs> Our health service is here for you this winter, and we're taking every step to protect you from COVID-19. Our services are open and working, from routine appointments to urgent care. Remember to check your prescriptions and keep a list of your medicines handy. And look out for your Keeping Well This Winter booklet in the post. Visit hse.ie or call HSE Live on 1850 24 1850 for more information. From the HSE. Your free travel card can be used on all Expressway coach services. Despite restrictions, we're staying on the road. Whether you need to attend a medical appointment or for any other essential journey, remember to travel with Expressway. Expressway. Keeping Ireland connected. Here's your chance to win a top-of-the-range smartphone, a Doro 8050, designed specifically for seniors. Doro are market leaders in creating phones with clearer sound and larger text, one that's protected if it falls or can alert others if you do, and makes staying in touch with family and friends simple and enjoyable. Doro helped to make ageing an independent, secure and rich part of life. As you know, age is just a number. All you need to do to win a Doro smartphone is go to the website seniortimes.ie and follow the instructions. The lucky winner will be announced on the Senior Times Facebook page. Doro Phones, making technology easy for all. Say hello to our Premium Plus e-paper bundle, the interactive replica edition of the Irish Independent, Sunday Independent and The Herald. Every paper, every day, delivered to your tablet, phone or desktop for less than €3.50 per week. Subscribe at independent.ie. Up close and independent. Just to get back to your own story, because um, your dad died when you were very young. What age were you? 19. Yeah, I mean, that made a big difference in our in our house because, as I said, there was nothing to fall back on, you know. Um my mum went out and got part-time work and I had was leaving school and um, I just got a job, basically. Uh, and it, it was, you know, if I'd said to my mother, I, I think it's really important that I go and study English literature or something, she probably would have said, OK, but that's not the household we were, we were in. You know, I, I kind of knew, listen, I, I need to contribute mm-hmm. to, to our house. And... But, I mean, that wasn't a big sacrifice for me, Mary. It wasn't, you know, I wasn't kind of saying, oh, my God, I have to do this and it's terrible. I I was happy to do it. And working in, uh, was it the Central Bank you you began? I started off in the Central Bank, yeah. That was kind of, you know, that was a big step. (laughs) It was like 180 degrees from what I thought I would do. Yeah, I... 
I wanted to work in the library. I, I we used to spend I, I spent loads of time in the local library. I was convinced I would get a job in the library, and I always laugh with my good pal Patricia Scanlon because she worked in the library, and I say, "You got my job," you know. Um, but weirdly, uh, it's extraordinary. Um, the job offers I got were all in finance. Really strange because it was not my thing at all. Although when I got into it, I, I found it really interesting. You got a head for. I don't know that I have a head for... I don't really have that great a head for numbers or something, but I got it. I understood it, you know. I I, I think um, finance is, is very, very interesting because you have to learn a lot about people and about the economy and all that kind of thing. And so I just found it really interesting. And what I found interesting, actually, now that I think about it, was the competitive nature of what went on in offices and you know, the dynamic between uh, men and women in offices, all of that, I was sitting there going, gosh, because, you know, coming from the background that I had with three girls in our family and then um, my interests, which were really reading and internal sort of stuff, I had never encountered that kind of rough and tumble of of office politics, that kind of thing before, and, and it fascinated me. It was a big move from working in a vegetable shop in the Ivy Markets. And it uh, sounds, from what you've said, that it was a different world. I, I guess, do you know what, it is a completely different world. It was very, because it, it was a world of big money, you know. Um, for for us at the end of the day, it was a couple of hundred pounds maybe, might go through the till. And suddenly I was writing things with six knots and seven knots um, behind them. And so... Um, it was very different. Um, I was meeting meeting a lot of um, people with with good qualifications, like economists and oh gosh, I'm thinking economists. There were other other graduates of various different different sorts there, um, and it was it was just a whole different environment. It was completely different to every, anything I knew. I guess like also in the past, you know, going through school and everything was a nurturing environment. Banking is not a nurturing environment. In the central bank at that time, because we're talking about the late 70s, early 80s, the late 70s, um, there weren't that many women uh, in senior in senior positions because of the marriage bar. So I, I didn't understand that. I didn't know about that at first. And I said to somebody, why are all the managers men? And they said, because they're all promoted. They said, well, what about the women? And then they told me, oh, well, they leave because they get married. And I was horrified by this. And I kind of said, yeah, I want to be a manager. Uh, I didn't actually ever get to be a manager in the central bank, but I couldn't understand women not being in senior roles. There was kind of a thing of the women should be getting married and and leaving the jobs for the men. And some of the were... Of, there were a few women who were in more senior positions and they were obviously had to be unmarried. And there was a kind of, well, nobody would have them attitude towards those women. And I think afterwards, now looking back, um, I think they were probably having the most wonderful life. But there was that attitude and there was that attitude that if you're a woman actually and you were getting promoted, you'd be promoted in the common human resources area or not banking areas. And it's funny, I suppose, when you think about it nowadays, uh, that the struggle continues when we think about the, say, the the hashtag Me Too movement mm-hmm. and Black Lives Matter. So just because you de- then get rights that enshrine you as equal doesn't actually mean society has changed to make you 
equal. You still have to keep fighting for your place. Um, and I think it's really tough for a lot of younger women now that they have to fight for their place and also look gorgeous at the same time. Whereas I remember when we were, you know, debating, it was that don't judge me on my looks. And so you would quite happily go out with terrible hair and awful clothes and you'd be saying this is this is fair and this is right mm-hmm. and now you have to do it looking gorgeous as well and I think oh my god yeah, have the, we made any progress the pressure is still there that's why you're There's right always pressure yeah. always pressure mm-hmm. on women always pressure not to be too loud and not to be too and not to ask for too much um it's really an, it's 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 an interesting debate and it's really it's both depressing but also inspiring that that there are some great women still oh, out there. Absolutely. And that the, the that the struggle does continue and that nobody's yes. letting it... Uh, letting yes, it. And, and you mentioned me to it that, that we're talking about things that actually we didn't talk about before because, yeah, when I look back in the banking career that, you know, when you were talking about the misogyny, but there was also the casual sexism and the casual assumption that from men that they could, you know, pinch your bottom or, you know, those kind of things, which you just accepted that. You just assumed that that was part of working in a group of men. And then you're realising... Um, that the rules and the structure was set up for guys and for the way that they live and not for women. And so you're having to change a lot of things. Mm-hmm. I suppose, uh, Sheila, I'm listening to you there, you do deal with those issues and with women's politics and, and justice and equality for all in your books. I always wanted to put women at the front of the stories in my books. I always wanted them to be telling their own stories and fighting their own battles and and looking at it from their point of view, because a lot of times I think we look at women's issues from a male point of view. So I wanted women to be telling their own stories. And yeah, I mean, my books are, like I said, they're storytelling books. They're they're just looking into somebody's lives. But all our lives have really important issues going on in them. And I like to deal with them if I can. Well, you do deal with uh, real life issues. In, in this book, you have this uh, woman who's... Uh, just been bereaved and who's finding a sense of self mm-hmm. and then the the young woman whose ex is an absolute <laughs> toe rag <laughs> and and uh, the the issue of abortion she'd love to have a child and yet her niece has had an abortion i mean you know you don't kind of shy away from difficult issues no because dif- difficult issues are part of all our lives and so they should be told in our stories and you know um I, I really just bring in what seems right and appropriate for the characters in my novels mm-hmm. at, at any particular time. And, you know, Dira, I, I love that you're saying she's a young woman because I think she's really young, but she's actually approaching her 40s. And it's in the book, she's um, her her concern is that she's now too old to have a baby. Um, so it's interesting, you know, that now our lives, you know, we, we think some, I, I definitely think somebody at 40 is, is young, but... Um, I, I know an, oh, a friend of mine in around the same age and she was talking about having a baby and, and the gynecologist said to her, yeah, you know, you, you realise how old you are, you know. And that wasn't in a bad way, but medically speaking, she was. And so so this is one of the the issues that Dira is going through and she researches it and she realises that, you know, there's all this, oh yeah, it's fine, you know, you can you can have treatment and you can have a baby and it's not necessarily that easy. And mm. it's another thing that women have to juggle with mm-hmm. is that mm-hmm. whole thing of, I By can't leave it talk. too late. Yeah, I can't leave it too late. So when she, and she didn't want to have a child initially, but but now she's split up and she's kind of reassessing her life. And her niece 
for her own reasons and for very valid reasons, has an abortion. And Deira is absolutely, totally conflicted about this because she would believe entirely and completely in a woman's right to choose. And yet she's devastated at the thought that her niece has had an abortion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that she would have actually taken on this child yeah. and loved it for her niece. Yeah, mm. yeah. But that's not the way life works. Well, I was just about to say real life issues, real yeah. life issues. Um, I'm just fascinated. How did you get from banking at a senior level to, to being a, a novelist for, what, 30 years now? Uh, not quite 30 years, I'm <laughs> I don't think. But yeah, I'm on that's book number 25. So, wow. but actually, uh, the thing is, Mary, uh, you know, I was always writing. Do you remember I said to you, I thought I would work in the in the library um, and everybody thought I would because I loved books so much and I loved writing so much. And in my head, I was never a banker. I was a writer who had never been published. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I I guess I had always wanted to write a book and, and I had loads of start, you know, chapter ones. My my desk or my cupboard was full of chapter ones. And one day I said to myself, you know, you have to get on to chapter two if you actually want to write a book. And I I just took a decision that I was going to sit down and and try and finish a book, write it from start to finish. And, and then at least I'd have done it. Whether it got published or not, I would have done it. Well, 25 books later... My goodness. Um, do you feel that your writing has evolved in that time? It's only when you're an older person that you can actually write the older person with experience, you know. Other, until then, you're writing what you think the older person's experience is. It's fine to write the younger person's experience because you've had it. You know, you've gone through that. Obviously, everybody has different ones, but you have been a teenager and you have been in your 20s and your 30s. But until you're in your 60s, you haven't been there. And there's a kind of trope I think in fiction where the older woman is always this kind of wise sensible woman offering advice and she has <laughs> you know she makes teas and she does she has you know lavender herbs on her on her mm -hmm. windowsill and actually um Grace as an older woman is having to reassess her life but she's also making mistakes we never stop making mistakes oh, for sure you always think maybe you know when I'm 50 I'll have a cop when I'm 60 when I'm we, we just keep making mistakes, different ones, but we still make mistakes. But also one of the things I've realised is that, you know, again, this older woman dispensing advice, it's like she's got to a point in her life and she's not learning new things. But we all are continuing to learn new things and we all have new ambitions. You have different ambitions. You know, you've maybe achieved something you wanted to do when you were 30 or 40, but like 60, 70, there's still things you want to do. Um, and I don't think that that is entirely reflected mm. in, in literature. It's certainly not in the books that I read. Mm. So Grace has things now that she wants to do yeah. going totally. forward. Totally. What about you? Have you got ambitions? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm after talking about all these ambitions and now I'm going to say I don't have any ambitions. <laughs> I, I want to keep learning myself. I want to keep, uh, obviously at the moment we can't do this but I, I love travelling and I want to visit as many places as I can I think my ambitions now are very much about um, learning and knowledge and experiences and doing things I mean on a professional level um, I would love to keep writing I, I enjoy writing maybe um, doing different things with my writing but actually I have found it my, my sort of my I don't like to say comfort zone because I don't want to feel in a comfort zone 
But I've realized that writing the books I write is is where I am, as who I am as a person. But I've, although it probably will never come to the screen, I have been involved in a little bit of screen play writing. I'm involved with um, helping other people with writing. I'm involved with um, fighting words. And so, um, and the particular work that I do there is actually with older people telling their stories and helping to write their stories. So um, I enjoy that. So that's encouraging people who feel they might like to write to... Yeah, people who hadn't had the opportunity before. Mm. Uh, and some of them are brilliant. Some of them some of them write like life experiences and some of them write fiction. Um, but they would be a little bit older than me, not that much older than me, some, although some are. Some are in their 80s, which is fantastic. And they wouldn't have had that opportunity themselves. Mm. And so I work with a group and we, we talk about how we're going to write short stories or how we're going to write memoir. And it's just brilliant. And there are some fantastic stories, some really difficult stories and some really joyful stories. Mm. So I I really enjoy doing that. You're kind of unlocking uh, something for these absolutely. people, are you? Yeah, absolutely. And, and memories and things like that, you know, and and some of the writing is is so raw and so good. Um, so I enjoy doing that. I think now looking, you know, looking at what I want, it's it's those kind of experiences mm-hmm. that really, I, I don't know, I, you know, it sounds very happy clappy to say they speak to me, but they do. Sheila, you've had, um, I think, is it nine million books? Yeah, it's, it's around that, yeah. There does seem to be a huge appeal uh, in other parts of the world for the the kind of stories that you tell. Why do you think that is? I think it's because women generally, doesn't matter where we are, have had a certain similarity of experience, you know. Um, women are very nurturing and caring, not all of us, not all the time, but, you know, we care about the people around us. Um, and a lot of times you sacrifice something of yourself for the people around you. Um, and that comes out in my novels and it does particularly possibly in The Women Who Ran Away, with, with Grace in particular. Um, women, ex- I think, you know, they, they react to that and they understand that. They also understand that the because a, a lot of times, you know, what I said I wanted to write about with women who juggle everything, you know, you juggle your career and your family and your love life and all of those things. And all women do that. Women juggle all the time. And I think that that's very universal. Mm-hmm. I remember going to Singapore a, a number of years ago and, and um, met with a great group of Muslim women. Um, they were in a book club and we had a fantastic conversation about all of that, about I'm supposed to do this and I don't want to do this and I'm supposed to put my mother-in-law ahead of me. I don't think so. You know, It was great. We had a fantastic conversation. But it really opened my eyes to, like we were in Singapore, which is like about as far away as you can be, and yet the conversations were exactly the same. You do a bit of juggling yourself because um, we kind of imagine writers as being indoor people and sitting at a desk and poring over research documents and then at their laptops. And you're uh, just as likely to be found uh, racing around a, a badminton court. <laughs> well, I know it's still indoors, but still. Yeah, and, and of course, not not at the moment, tragically, mm. because um, we were, we had a great team this year. We were, got to the quarterfinals of the league. We were really optimistic about winning and then season came to a shuddering halt. Um, I like sport. I actually, I was a director of the Sports Council for five years. Um, and my thing there was women in sport and trying to make it accessible for women and um, also women in sport at a 
governance level, you know, coaching and not just playing, but all of those other levels. Um, when you are sitting at your desk all the time, it's really nice to get up and move around. <laughs> and uh, I, I enjoy badminton. I like the tactics of it. I like the moving around of it. I've made some fantastic friends. Uh, some of my closest friends are were rivals on the badminton court. So, uh, yeah, I, I just think it's good to to move around. And also for just, you know, in terms of enhancing my my productivity in writing, when you're doing the badminton stuff, you can't think, you can't be creative. You can't, none of those characters are in your head. You haven't got room for them. It's the one time you don't have room for them. And sometimes after a match and I come home and I think, oh, I know what I'm going to do with her next. Wow. Yeah. So it's a real tip for anybody who is is writing and maybe struggling that if um, if that's happened to you, go and do something completely different where you cannot think about the work. You kind of give yourself a bit of headspace. Yes. And then the subconscious works away mm. and it can come back and go, hello, <laughs> I have an idea for you. Um, do you ever think about aging? I guess now my mum is in her late 80s and so she's more frail than she was before. And, and I try to look at aging as in a positive way, you know, I don't want to think about, obviously there are, there are negative effects from aging. There are positive things that are mostly mental, actually. Um, the the body getting frailer or getting, you know, less able is, I mean, it does bother me, I have to say. I, but that's why I try to take care of myself and I play my badminton and I go for my walks and I try and eat sensibly, but not all the time. And try and drink sensibly, but not all the time. <laughs> uh, we, we did quarantinis during lockdown. And nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, my husband's were really, really good at making, making cosmopolitans and things like that. Well, you're a, a good example, I can tell you, uh, Sheila, of somebody who's living every moment. And um, I've really enjoyed this conversation. And my wish for you, after what you've said about COVID in Spain and Italy and France, is that you get to go back there very soon and uh, be with the people that you love over there. Oh, thank you very much, Mary. What strikes me about Sheila Flanagan is she's a very sensitive person, but she's also a warrior. It's obvious that she cares deeply about women, but not only about women. She cares about social justice and equality for all. It was absolutely fascinating to talk to her about her background, and I just know that she'll be out there for many years to come fighting for justice through the Fighting Words organization. This Senior Times podcast was produced by Simon Murta and engineered by Mark Murphy.